Well, um, today is obviously a little different for me. Um, I'm wearing a button-up shirt and <laughs> not a beanie, so <laughs> um, I tried to get Nick to let me wear the beanie, but he kept saying no. Um, so normally I am teaching people younger than me, but today I get to teach people who are typically older than me, so this will be fun. Um, I've done a lot of preparation for this, but ultimately it's God's word that goes out and his spirit that teaches you guys. So with that, I would like you all to turn to our text. It's Galatians 1, 6 through 9, and if you could stand up as we read it, we stand up to show reverence for God's word. And it says in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That's the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. <clears throat> Let's pray. Um, Father, just as we look at your text, please, please teach us what you'd have be learned. And just let us be receptive and changed by your gospel. Let us cling to the grace of Christ, the true gospel, and just hold fast to the scripture which you've given to us. Let us grow in love for it and live out that love. In your name, amen. All right. So, I get to teach on a passage here where we're condemning false teachers. Um, <laughs> but to understand why Paul is beginning his letter with this attack on false teachers, you need to understand the context of the letter. So at the time, there was a teaching among churches, um, or not among churches, from the Jews towards the Christians, and the Galatian church had fallen into this. They were trading the gospel of Christ, the grace of Christ, for the law of circumcision. There were people called Judaizers, and the Judaizers were Jews who liked Christ, but they thought that we still needed to have the works of the law mixed in. And so what they were telling the Christians was that if you want to be identified as the people of God, you need to be circumcised. Because for the last 2,000 years, this is how the people of God were identified. This is how the Jews identified themselves as the people of God, through the sign of circumcision. And just to give you an idea of how valuable this was to them, we can look at the Sabbath, how they treated the Sabbath law. The Jews were resilient to change. They were captured by the Babylonians and the Assyrians and then the Greeks and now the Romans. And throughout all of this, they had held their Jewish identity as the people of God. And the Romans would give them exemption from being in the military because they valued the Sabbath law so much. They wouldn't fight on the Sabbath. They'd rather just sit there and be killed. And the Romans didn't like this because if they ever went to war on the Sabbath, then they had a bunch of useless soldiers. So the Jews were exempt from it. But they held the circumcision, the law of circumcision, much, much higher than they held the law of the Sabbath because 
the law of the Sabbath was given to them by Moses. And Moses, he's a big deal in the Old Testament, but the law of circumcision was given to them by Abraham. And Abraham, he's the father of the faith. He's the one that all the Jews looked back to and counted their heritage back to and said, this is why we're Jews, is because God set apart Abraham and gave him the sign of circumcision. And so this is how we identify as the people of God. But when Christ came, things changed. And the Christians are not identified by circumcision. Um, And so while the Jews were willing to die for the Sabbath, they were actually willing to kill for circumcision. And they did. Much of the Christian church at the time was being persecuted for this. And that's why many Christians were converting back to this teaching of the Judaizers. They were abandoning the grace of Christ for circumcision because of fear. And so Paul begins his letter in verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, this language of of deserting him who called you, this is abandonment. This is being a traitor. If the Jews looked at this as if you didn't do circumcision, if you weren't circumcised and you abandoned the law of circumcision, you were being a traitor to the Jewish nation. And so Paul's using similar language here. He's saying, if you are abandoning the grace of Christ, you're being a traitor to God, the very God who you want to be identified as his people. You're abandoning the grace of Christ and thus a traitor. And instead, they were turning back to this, this law of circumcision. This, they were trading grace for works instead of saying what Christ has done and that he's fulfilled it all, that he's reconciled us with the Father, that, or that brought us back into fellowship with the Father, that, um, that we had to earn it somehow. We had to do this circumcision. And we call this the gospel of works because it's the opposite of the gospel of grace. Grace is it's been done for you. You don't need to do the works. Works is that you need to earn it. So anything that's not the gospel of grace is the gospel of works. And that's what they're turning to. And he's like, I can't believe you're deserting this. Why are you turning back to works instead of what Christ has done for you? And so he continues in verse 7. He says, Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, in Paul's mind, there is only one gospel. The Judaizers were saying, No, this is, Paul's pretty good, but this is the real gospel, and here's a variant of the gospel. But Paul's like, Those aren't gospels, those are non gospels. We have the one true gospel in Christ. Anything else is not the gospel. It's not good news. Um, because if salvation were left up to us, we, wouldn't, we would never be saved. Um, Christ has done it for us. That's the good news. Earning it and having to keep a law that we can't keep, that's, well, it's impossible. That's not good at all. Um, so let me, let me give you an illustration here. If you'd imagine with me that you love art, and somebody comes up to you, and they're selling a picture of Van Gogh's Starry Night. Now, I love Van Gogh. I think his Starry Night is a beautiful picture, and so he's selling it to you, and he's got this certificate of authentication and everything, and he's like, yeah, um, and you, so you buy it because you love it, and you've been looking for it forever, and after you buy it, you go, and you hang it in your house, and you get special lights to shine down on it, and you decide, I'm going to throw a party, 
And that's where I'll have the inspector come and declare in front of all my friends how wonderful this painting is. And so you do, you have the party, your friends come over, they look at it. Man, how did you ever get Van Gogh's Starry Night? And everyone's just impressed and amazed. But then the inspector comes and he's looking at it and he gets his magnifying glass and gets down real close and gets the brush and dusts it off a little bit. And you feel like in yourself, you're like, man, this is the moment. Everyone's going to see how great it is. But then he stands up and turns around and declares, it's a fake. And everyone kind of looks at you like, you bought a fake? <laughs> and um, you just feel this emptiness in you. You've spent all this money. You've been looking for it forever. You've brought all your friends here. And we're so proud to show off this picture that isn't real. And you're just, you're left with nothing. And so a fake Van Gogh can never take the place of a real Van Gogh. And a fake gospel can never take the place of a real gospel. There is no power for salvation in a fake gospel. Only the true gospel, the grace of Christ, has the power for salvation. And so this, this gets worse, though, because we have um, the Galatian church who's doing this, but... They're not the only ones who have done it. Throughout all of church history, we see heresies rise up. We see, um, if, you, if you know Augustine, he fought Pelagius, and Pelagius said that there's still good in man, that um, we can earn the gospel, that if we do good works, we'll be, we can be saved. And Augustine didn't take that. He defended the gospel and the truth because that undermines the grace of Christ. If... If we don't need Christ, if we can earn salvation on our own, then that completely undermines God, uh, the gospel, and all the work of Christ, his, his crucifixion. And then there's cults throughout church history, too, and today still, there's the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, and how do they tell you to earn salvation? They say, go, go door to door and go evangelize, go tell other people for the Jehovah's Witnesses, go get the other 143,999 and bring them in. Then you can get to heaven. And that, that's just, it's an abandonment of the gospel of grace. And today we still have false teachers, even in um, evangelical churches. Um, there's, actually, Nick was showing me a picture on, at the Christian, not the Christian bookstore, but at the bookstore, the Barnes & Noble, okay, they have um, like the Christian section and the rows of shelves were just filled with books by, well, Joyce Meyer and Joel Osteen. And Christian, if you listen to these people, like they're teaching a false gospel. And it's sad because they'll say, that they, they teach a gospel, we call it the prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel is that you can be or in happiness now, if you just have faith, if you do this or that or whatever. And they, some of them are ridiculous. They'll, they'll say, if you open up your wallet and believe hard enough, it'll be filled with cash. And like, that's not even a gospel of salvation. That's a gospel of, of money and material goods. And we don't need that. We get everything in Christ. We get salvation in Christ. Um... There are also churches that we would typically consider to be uh, brothers in, in Christ. Um, and I, I grew up in one of these, um, kind of like 
Cantley was talking about how he grew up in one. And I remember, so, so what this church taught was that if you are baptized in the Spirit, which we would understand as being born again, so if you're born again, then you're going to speak in tongues. And I remember as a child, my dad decided that I was old enough to receive the gospel and to speak in tongues. And so he came into my bedroom. I was like, son, it's time to pray so that way you can be saved and receive tongues. And so we prayed, and he walked me through the sinner's prayer. And after this, we'd finished with the sinner's prayer, I didn't speak in tongues. Now, right practice for this church was, if you don't speak in tongues, then you keep praying until you do speak in tongues. And so we were praying and praying and praying. And, and I, I never did speak in tongues, but <laughs> I remember as a child thinking, man, he's not going to stop. <laughs> and so I did the only thing any reasonable kid would do. I faked it. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what I said. Hopefully it wasn't bad. But, um, but it was interesting that receiving the gospel wasn't what was exciting to my father. It was the speaking in tongues. Yeah, you prayed the gospel. You got salvation. Okay, good. Now, let's speak in tongues. And, like, it's just, it's sad that that's not enough. That's not the goal. But we could pick on other churches and stuff. But even within Baptists, we tend to do this, too. Um, In different ways. We just have this tendency towards leaving grace for some reason. We think that in our minds if we pray more often or go to church or read our Bibles enough, then we'll earn favor with God instead of recognizing that Christ has earned that favor for us, that he's reconciled us. And it's just, it's wrong. Like, I remember as a a student especially that (laughs) whenever a test came up, my Christian life got way better. Um... (laughs) Man, I, as, and I remember there was like certain girls I just really wanted to like go out with me. And so before I'd ask them out, I'd start praying more and reading my Bible a lot. And so whenever this test or like I was going to ask them out, then I'd be like, well, God, I did these things. Now you have to do it. And um, needless to say, they did not work. Um, but it's good. It's good that they didn't work because That's the wrong mindset. If I thought that I could earn God's favor instead of recognizing the gospel of grace, then I would still be stuck trying to earn God's favor. But um, it's it's just, it's so prideful of us to think that we can do that. Don't you guys ever, have you guys ever done anything like that? Like, it's so typical for us to do that. But in reality, we should be humbled of what Christ has done for us, because we cannot move an immovable God with our actions. Um, He is way too big for us to do that, and he doesn't owe us anything. And so, Paul gives us a solution for this false thinking. (laughs) In verse 8, he says, but even if, sorry, but even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's, that's Paul's solution. 
<laughs> but what he's saying is, even if an angel from heaven were just to appear in front of you, and just magnificent, glory, huge, and he preaches to you a gospel contrary to the one that you've received in, in the scripture, contrary to the one you've received, then let him be accursed. Or if the apostles who wrote the scriptures even, he says, that they preach a gospel contrary, let them be accursed. And this, this accursed, this is, this is used throughout church history as the word anathema, which means to be cut off from the body of Christ. It's, it's like if you cut off your finger, then that's not good for your finger to be cut off from the body. Um, it's, the chances of it coming back on are just not, not promising. Uh, but if they are, if your finger has cancer on it, then you gotta cut it off. You gotta remove it. And that's Paul's solution. He says, um, if anyone's teaching you a gospel contrary, let him be accursed. Don't let him teach a false gospel. And I think when Paul's writing this verse, he has a specific incident in mind. Because later on in chapter 2, 2.11, it says, But when Cephas, who is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now what Peter had been doing was he was intimidated by these Judaizers, by the circumcision group. And when they came into town, like he would start acting as if he were one of them. And Paul rebukes him and says, what are you doing? He rebukes him to his face, he says. And it's great because Peter turns back to the gospel because of this. And he even writes in his second letter about warnings against false teachers and such. Um, but but this, this anathemizing, this cutting them off from the body of Christ is an act of love towards the false teacher because you want them to turn back. You don't want them to continue in the way they're going. But it's also an act of love for Christ, for his church, and for his gospel because you're keeping it pure. You're keeping his gospel pure. You're protecting the church. Um, we do not let the sheep go astray. Like th That's not what Christ does. He's the good shepherd. And so if we're supposed to imitate him, we do not let the sheep go astray. We protect them from false gospels. And so Paul continues in verse nine, he says, and we have said, uh, I'm sorry, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now, when the Bible repeats something, it's, it's important. And here Paul's like saying the exact same thing again. And it's, it's just, it's huge. We are so prone to wander away. We want to, for some reason, keep leaving the grace of Christ and trying to earn this salvation. And so it's serious, and he repeats it. And, and it's, in, it's interesting because the, he says, if anyone teaches you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, which means they knew the gospel, they they had already received it. They believed, and here people are teaching them a different gospel. So it's not like they're coming up by surprise. They, they know it. Christians, we know the gospel. We have the Bible. We just have to read it, and there it is. And so if anyone preaches a gospel contrary, let them be accursed. And so what that means is if Nick or I or whoever is up here teaches a gospel contrary, you, the church, are responsible 
to let them know, to rebuke them as Peter did. And it's an act of love for, for both. And so, yeah, just um, come tell us if we ever preach a false gospel, please. That'd be awesome. <coughs> so, but we'll try to avoid that. Um, <laughs> um, anyways, so they knew the gospel. They had the true gospel. But what is the true gospel? The true gospel is the story of God's grace. It's what Christ has done for us. We have, we have in scripture from the very beginning an infinite God. It says in the beginning, God. And he was perfect. He's, he's triune. He has complete unity in himself. He doesn't need anything else. He's just always eternally there. And in love, he, he creates everything. And he creates the earth, but he also creates the moon and the stars and the solar system and the galaxies and the whole universe. And you just keep zooming out and it's this vast creation that he's made. And out of all of creation, everything that he made, we little humans, we're the ones that sin. We're the ones who disobey him and rebel against him. And in our minds, I think, the reasonable thing to do at that point is after you've made this vast creation and that little part's the problem, you just wipe them off. But he doesn't. He shows us grace. And to the first humans who did sin, they, they're clothed and um, given a promise that there's a seed who's going to come after them, a savior. And so throughout the whole Old Testament, we see this. Where there's Noah, is Noah the Savior? No. Is Mo- Abraham, is Abraham the Savior? No. Is Moses the Savior? No. Um, and, and we just keep going through all history. There's the prophets, and they're like, the Savior's coming. And finally, we have Jesus. It's, it's that infinite God who created everything come in the flesh. And when he comes, he doesn't demand from us just pleasures and service and anything like that. He comes and he actually serves us. The God of the universe not only comes and becomes human, but he serves us. He walks with us. And he hangs, he, he hangs out with the least deserving people, with tax collectors and sinners. And he teaches that if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you become least like he has. And when it seems like there's like this is way too much, God. You've already come and you're serving us. Then he goes to the cross and God dies for us. And God the Son receives the full wrath of God the Father on our behalf. And, man, (laughs) after that, he does not stay dead because he's God. And like he's already absorbed all the sin, um, wrath for us. He then is defeating death and hell and raises to the right hand of the Father and sits on his throne where he calls us to join him. He draws us to him. And it's amazing, the God of the universe that created just everything, drawing us to himself not because of anything that we deserve, but because of what he's done. And 
So there is nothing left for us to do. The gospel of works is ridiculous when you, when you realize the gospel of grace. Because what is there for you to do? He's already absorbed the full wrath of God. He didn't save any for you. And so how should we live? What is there for us to do? So we respond to the gospel. We don't try to earn salvation, but because of what he's done, we live in gratitude. We, <laughs> we are so grateful that he saved us that we worship. That's why we come to church on Sunday, right? We don't come here to earn favor. We come here because he is worthy of praise. That's why we read our Bible, not because we're gonna get what we want and manipulate God in some way, but because it's the story of salvation, it's the story of grace, and it reminds us every time we read it of the gospel of grace. That's why we pray. He came and wanted to be known. And so we can pray now in confidence to the God of the universe because he has come down to us. We cherish the gospel. We protect it from false gospels because none of them are worthy. None of them are even close to this gospel of grace. Um, And because of this, because of this true gospel, because of what Christ has done and came down to us, we, we then go out to others. We don't do it to get into heaven. We do it because he is so good to us and we know that we need it. We know that the next person needs it too. And so because of what Christ has done, because we know his grace, we share his grace. If we remember the gospel of grace, then all other gospels are just meaningless. They're not even attractive. And so, we remember the gospel. We love the gospel. We cherish the gospel. When we come and gather on Sundays, we remember and praise the God who is, who is just worthy to be praised because of his grace. And so as we go out and we live our daily lives, everything we do should be to magnify God, should be in worship to him because we don't deserve to be here, but because of his grace, we have life and life to the fullest in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much just for your eternal plan of salvation that you've fulfilled in Christ, that you've given to us. Thank you that you've called us and draw us to yourself, Lord. Thank you for coming down in the flesh to love us, to be with us, and to do just magnificent act of grace for us, Lord. As we live and just go through life, let us, let us worship and honor you and remember what you've done. When we see a false gospel, Lord, let us be bold and reject it, Lord. Let us clearly identify between grace and works, that we can cling to Christ and love him because of what he has done. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen.